0: Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Today we continue our series entitled Kedging by Lead Pastor Rex Johnson. In this sermon, we will hear that we need to kedge our hearts towards love while learning about the power of the cross. And now, Pastor Johnson. I want to to preach today on a a second part of what I call kedging. I want to talk about it again today, kedging part two. And uh, I want want God to help us. Last week we talked about hope. We talked about kedging toward hope. Today we're going to talk about kedging toward love. Now there abideth faith, hope, and charity. And the greatest of these is charity. So in the middle of this message, in the middle of this message, Uh, message that I'm going to give today in the middle of this series, I'm going to talk about the love of God. I'm going to talk about the power of the cross. And uh, the Lord is my helper today and he's going to help us. Calvary is something that's not preached about much anymore, but we're going to preach about it today. I would appreciate if you would stay with me for about 25-30 minutes. We're going to preach the gospel today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 2 Corinthians says, But I fear lest by any means, as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, that your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. 1 Corinthians 2 says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And then he wrote again to the Corinthians, "Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye you see your calling, brethren, to how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence but of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto wisdom unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption there's a beautiful word sanctification that according as is it written he that glorieth let him glory in the Lord amen Amen. let him glory in the Lord clap your hands and rejoice over the reading of the word today everybody say pastor Pastor. preach the word to us today let it touch my heart let it change my heart preach the word to us today let it touch my mind let it change my mind preach this word to us today let me leave here a better person than I was when I came in are you ready for the word today set up on your seat let's hear the gospel you may be seated So a woman tells about a five-year-old son playing his first neighborhood softball game. And the little guy named Frankie stepped up to the plate while his dad shouted instructions from the sideline. Mom and dad both cheered excitedly when little Frankie clouded the ball out into right center field. Charged with excitement, the youngster rounded first, rounded second, then confused by so much shouting. He hesitated on third base and seemed not to know what to do next. And the dad said, run home, son, run home. With that, Frankie turned, scooted across left field, squeezed through the fence, and disappeared. (laughs) They found him later sitting in the kitchen of the family home. He had run home. He He did just what the dad had instructed him to do. His father yelled, run home, and that's exactly what he did. Sometimes the father needs to be a little more clear in what he was directing him to do. Most of you are familiar with this little acronym, K-I-S-S, and it says simply keep it simple, stupid. I'm going to change the stupid because I don't like to use that word. But I stood in the pulpit as as a young man several years ago, and I saw on the pulpit a sign that the pastor had for himself to read. It was from John 12 and 20. It said simply, sir, we would see Jesus. And I'd like to put something else beneath that. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, sir. Keep it simple. The gospel is not something that is complex. It's not something that is confounded. Paul did that to the Corinthians. He kept the gospel simple. I speak of a subject called kedging. I spoke about it last week. Kedging is used when a ship is grounded or when a ship is in turbulent water they'll run a cage anchor away from that ship in the direction that it wants to go and they'll drop that cage anchor and then the shipmates will they will they will wind themselves and and they will bring themselves to that anchor wherever it is how far ever it is last week we 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 hung the anchor the cage anchor on a word called hope and we talked about the bones of Joseph. We talked about hoping for a hereafter. Today, I'm going to throw this cage toward the cross. I'm going to throw it at the cross. And I'm going to catch us. We're going to winch our way. We're going to roll our way. We're going to bring ourselves to the, to the cross, to the foot of the cross here today. A pastor was sitting on an airplane traveling home, and he sat next to a lady. In the process of time, a conversation conferred between them. And she asked him what he did. He said he was a minister. And she immediately began to discuss religion. She began to criticize a certain denomination, a seminary that was in a certain part of the country, and the extreme right wing fundamentalists that had taken the seminary over. She had seen a movie about it, and she was appalled at what had happened. And that led to an extremely interesting conversation that was an eye opener for the pastor. In the course of the conversation, she especially singled out this certain denomination and how she could not understand why we just couldn't live and let live. And she later referred to them again in the emphasis that they placed on evangelism. She said, I'm very offended at that denomination trying to convert Jewish people and Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims or any other other form of religion. The pastor said to her, well, I guess if I knocked on your door and told you who I was, And simply ask for permission to share my faith and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would that be all right? And she said, even if you knocked on my door, I would be offended. She let the pastor know that the gospel greatly offended her. He said to her, you mean if I simply, simply share with you the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? that he was buried and that he raised from the dead and that if you will confess your sins to God, repent and ask him into your heart that that would offend you. She said, yes, especially if you ask him, ask me to have him to be Lord and Savior of my life. And after about 45 minutes of a very pleasant conversation, the pastor said to her, you have used the word offended probably 25 times in conversation. He said, let me share with you the difficulty that I'm having right now with you, ma'am by the very fact that I believe that salvation comes through death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that there is no other way to heaven except through the cross of Jesus Christ and that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. The very nature of my message is offensive. She said, you're exactly right. Then he said, I have a dilemma. I, if I do not choose to say salvation of the cross of Jesus Christ, I will never run the risk of offending you, but then I will offend my Lord and Savior. He said, so if I'm going to obey my Lord, there's really no way of getting around being an offense to people like you. She said, yes, you are right. So today, my subject for the next little while is I'm going to be in defense of the offense. That's what I'm preaching today. I am an attorney in this pulpit today defending the offense. Every religion and every ideology has a visual symbol which illustrates its history and its belief. Buddhism uses the lotus flower because of its wheel shape It's thought to depict the cycle of birth and death and the emergence of beauty and harmony out of the muddy waters of chaos. Judaism has adopted the star of David a hexagram formed by combining two equilateral triangles. It speaks of God's covenant with David, his throne that would be established forever and that Messiah would be descended from him. Islam is symbolized by a crescent originally depicting the phase of the moon. It is a symbol of sovereignty and Muslim victory. Even secular ideology has its signs. Marxism has the hammer and the sickle adopted in 1917 by the Soviet government that united industry and agriculture. And the Nazi Germany has its symbol of the swastika, which has been traced back some 6,000 years. And the arms of the cross are bent clockwise to symbolize either the movement of the sun across the sky or a cycle of four seasons if then it, it then became a symbol of the so-called superior race. Well, if all of those have symbols, Christianity also has a symbol. And its symbol is very simply not just a cross, but the cross. Somebody say the cross. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that reaches from heaven to earth and reaches around the world. And the cross has become a symbol of offense to our society Galatians 5 and 11, Paul even refers to the offense of the cross. Now, folks, you know me. I've been a pastor here for 25 years, and I never go out of my way to offend anyone. And we should be a loving and gracious and godly and kind church that shares the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the same time, I want to stand up today in defense of the offense because there will always be something offensive about Jesus Christ and the cross. Paul has three wonderful things to say about the cross. Number one, he said, through the cross, the Lord Jesus saves anybody. Clap your hands to that. He said, through the cross, the Lord Jesus separates everybody. And he said, through the cross, the Lord Jesus sanctifies somebody. Aren't you glad that wherever you were in life, one day somebody told you about the cross? Somebody told you about a place called Calvary and you came and surrendered yourself and received Christ in your life. Somebody ought to get excited about that today. There's nothing, there's nothing quite like it. Amen. The cross can save anybody. You believe that? Anybody can be saved. It's through the cross of Jesus that God's power of salvation shines through. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. The word message literally translated is the, is the word word. The word of the cross is the power of God. Not our word about the cross, but the word of the cross. That is, it is what the cross says to us. The word of the cross is God's first word, and God's last word of salvation. For in Revelation 13 and 8, we find that Jesus Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. But it's also God's last word, for this is where God has finally and forever provided a way for people to be saved and go to heaven. Get this down in your heart today. Are you ready? There is no plan B to salvation. The only highway to heaven is Calvary Boulevard. You cannot bypass the cross if you want eternal life. That's why the world hates the cross so much. There is no healing if there is not a cross. There is no salvation if there is not a cross. There's not a hereafter if there is not a cross. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away, is anybody happy that you found Jesus Christ at a place called Calvary one day in your life. It leaves no room for human merit. It leaves no room for human achievement. It leaves no room for human goodness. You can't get good enough to get God. Hallelujah. Now you may say, I don't like the way of the cross. I prefer going to church. I don't mind being baptized. I prefer living a good life. I prefer earning my way to heaven. But Proverbs 14 says, there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of death. A well-known Christian personality on a particular show was asked this question one day. Is a Jewish person without Jesus Christ lost and in need of salvation? And the man who is a well-known Christian began to stammer and to stutter and waffle this way and that way and finally said, well, the Jews have their way of going to heaven and the Christians have their way of going to heaven. That may be a worldview, but it's not God's view. The cross is not your way of going to heaven or my way of going to heaven. It's God's way of going to heaven. May I tell you that not only a Jew is lost without Jesus, a Gentile is lost without Jesus. My own mother, my children, my kinfolks, my dad, anybody in my family is lost without Jesus. Now the world spiritually is divided into two basic groups. There are the lost and the saved, the wheat and the tare, the sheep and the goat. The Bible calls them the Jews and the Gentiles or the Jews and the Greeks. Every one of you in this building today is either a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what language you speak, what country you were born in. You're either a Jew or a Gentile. The cross is not just a Gentile way of being saved or a Western way of being saved or a denomination's way of being saved. It's everybody's way of being saved. I wish somebody helped help me preach right now. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Can somebody get excited about that right now? That's the way, that's the way, that's the way. All oh, people need the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's a universal need. People need to know what is right and they need to know, they need to, they need to do what is right. They need the wisdom to know what to do and then they need the power to do it. Jesus is the only one that can give you both wisdom and power to do both. That's why Paul almost in a stubborn fashion said in verse 23, I preach Christ crucified. It was almost a stubbornness. He did not primarily focus on the birth of Christ or the resurrection of Christ, but he focused on the death of Christ. Incidentally, it's amazing to think that Jesus never asked us to remember his birth or his resurrection. But when he instituted the Lord's Supper, he specifically said to remember my death. Three things separate Jesus from every person who ever lived. Number one's a cradle, number two's a cross, and number three's a crown his virgin birth, his death on the cross, and his resurrection from the dead. But without the cradle, the cross is useless. If Jesus had not been born a virgin and lived a pure and sinless life, he could not have taken my sins upon him because he would have had sin within him. But without the crown, the cross is meaningless because if Jesus had not raised from the dead, it would have been proof positive that he was a liar and he was not the Lord and not the Savior of the world. But without the cross, both the crown and the cradle are needless. For at the cradle, Jesus was born the Son of God. At the tomb, he was raised King of kings. But it was at the cross that Jesus became the Savior of the whole world. Can we celebrate the cross here today? Can we celebrate the cross here today? Can somebody celebrate with me right now? Come on. Clap your hands real big. Let's celebrate the cross today. Hallelujah. It's Christ crucified, not Christ in a cradle, not Christ on a throne, not Christ at the tomb. It's Christ on the cross that is the power of God to all of us that are being saved. That is why I'm cadging. That's why I am given everything I have to get myself to the cross this spring break season. Because I understand that we celebrate resurrection, we celebrate his birth, but we don't like to preach about the cross. But I'm here declaring today we need to celebrate the cross of Jesus Christ today. Because without the cross, there's no need for the cradle. And there's no need for the crown. And there's no need to even preach Pentecost without the death of the lamb. Amen. Somebody say amen to that. The preaching of the cross, the preaching of Christ crucified must be an absolute priority. It's not foolish preaching that pleases God. There's enough foolish preaching in this world going around. But it's the foolishness of the message preached that saves people. The world calls it foolish. Paul could have compromised the message. He could have altered it because it was a stumbling block to the Jews, the Bible said, and it was foolishness to the Greeks. He could have polished it up. He could have cultured it, but he didn't. Billy Graham tells one time in his early ministry, he was preaching at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas on a big crusade night, and he walked away from the pulpit that night very disappointed, very discouraged because not many people came to give their heart to the Lord that day, that night, and a dear old saint came up and put his arm around him and said, Billy, He said, Billy, the sermon was good tonight, but it wasn't as good as you need to preach, Billy. He said, why? Why you say that? He said, because you didn't preach the cross tonight, Billy. You didn't preach the power of salvation, Billy. You didn't talk about the cross. You didn't talk about Jesus dying for sinners. You didn't talk about where the power is. Billy Graham said, I went to my room and I wept for an hour beside my bed and said, I will never preach the gospel again without preaching the cross hallelujah hallelujah can i preach to you right now can i say something to you We are Pentecostal people and we love the spirit and filling of the Holy Ghost. And every believer should and must receive the Spirit of God in their life. But I want to tell you something. The power is not there. The power is in the cross. Are you with me? When you get to the cross of Jesus Christ, that's the power of God. That's where it's at. And the Holy Spirit is a seal that keeps the power alive in your life. Somebody needs to celebrate the cross of Jesus Christ today. It's where salvation comes. Not only does the Lord save everybody, he separates everybody. The message of the cross to some is foolishness. I'm gonna keep spilling out this scripture because they're perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Say amen to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. When Jesus died on the middle cross, Calvary, he was He was the God of redemption. He was the Savior of redemption. But on his right side was a man who rebelled against that cross. On the left side was a man who repented to that cross. In the middle was a man who redeemed, a man who repented. But he separated those who rebelled and those who wanted to be redeemed. The cross not only saves, it separates. The cross is what I call the great divide. People don't mind religion. They really don't. They don't mind the church. They don't mind the Bible being preached. The preaching of the cross separates people, though, to one side or the other. Paul speaks of people repelled by the cross and those that adhere to it. Hear me. The cross is not foolishness. Everybody say, it is the power of God. There's basically three different attitudes that people would take toward the cross. Some reject it. Everybody say reject it. I hope there's not any rejection in this house today. I'm going to preach now. I trust that you're not here to reject what I'm preaching. Because the gospel of the cross is not a beautiful gospel. It's not pretty what happened that day at Calvary. But I hope you don't reject it because if you reject this, then there is no remission for you. To the Jews, the Bible said it was a stumbling block. The Greek word for stumbling block gives us our word scandal. Paul said the Jews required a sign. They wanted a sign and the Greeks were looking for wisdom. The Jews wanted power and the Greeks were looking for wisdom. There was an old man that got in a flood one day and he crawled up on the roof of his house and, and he said, Lord, I'm in the trouble now and I need you to save me and I know you'll save me. And about that time a rowboat came by and a man in the rowboat said, sir, you want to get off that roof and come with me? He said, no, I've asked the Lord and he's going to send somebody to save me. He gonna send somebody. About that time, the old the old man the 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 water got higher, is up to his pockets now. And all of a sudden, the helicopter came over, and a, and a and a cord came down, a rope came down. He said, "Sir, get a hold of that rope. We'll pull you out." He said, "No, I prayed to the Lord. He's gonna help me and take me out of here." And the old man drowned. Next scene's heaven. Man still wet walks up to the throne of God. Lord, I don't understand. I ask you to deliver me, and you let me drown. Why didn't you save me? And God said, "I sent you a rowboat and a helicopter. What do you want, man?" Can I tell you, I can't send you anything greater today than the cross of Jesus Christ. I can't send you anything greater today than the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't reject the cross today. If you've never claimed the cross in your life, don't reject the cross of Jesus Christ today. Come on. Somebody say, I receive it, Pastor. I receive it, Pastor. I want the cross in my life. The power of God is in the cross. I want the power of God in my life. Some ridicule the cross. Paul said in verse 23 that the Greeks, it was foolish. The cross is a joke to some. It's a laughing stock. Matter of fact, The word foolishness, the English word is moron. The Greeks said that people are morons who believe you have to go through the cross to go to heaven. The Jews sought wonders, the Greeks sought wisdom. I'm gonna tell you something. You can't put what I'm preaching in a test tube. You can't put it in a mathematical equation and then try to have people believe it. You can't put the cross in a crucible and you can't put faith in a formula. The cross is no laughing matter. You can't come to God by your own wisdom. Because the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Verse 25, Paul said, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In other words, if God were capable of a stupid thought, that thought would be wiser than the wisest thought a human could ever conceive in this building today. I'm here to tell you something. God not only saves, but he separates. You listen to this pastor today. You listen to this pastor today. It's amazing. It's amazing what God wants to do with you. Don't reject the cross. Don't ridicule the cross. And the third all I wanna preach is receive it. Everybody say, Pastor. Thanks for preaching about salvation today. Thanks for telling us about the cross today. Why don't you throw your hands in the air right now and say, Lord, I want a fresh start this spring. Come on, throw your hands in the air. I receive the cross of Jesus Christ. I receive it. I've become mystical in my faith. I've become woo woo in my faith. But take me back to the basic today. Take me back to where it all started. Take me back to a place called Calvary. Take me back to a place where Jesus died for me. Jesus died in a place called the place of the skull. Calvary was Golgotha was known as the place of the skull. And the first drops of blood hit the skull. Let me tell you something. I'm trying to put some drops of blood on your head today. I'm trying to change your thinking today. Do you know that legend says that there was a centurion that came up and pierced his side? You know that story. But legend has it that that man, when he pierced the side of the Lord, was a blind man. That was his job, that was his duty to pierce the side and break the legs of criminals that were crucified. He was a Roman centurion. But when he pierced the side of the Lord, out came blood and water. And it is said that some of the blood hit his eyes. He was blind, hit his eyes, and immediately he saw. There's power in the cross of Jesus Christ. There's power in the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't reject it. Don't ridicule it. Receive it today. In the name of the Lord. Clap your hands all over this house and rejoice in spirit today. Rejoice in spirit. Hmm. Lord not only saves, he not only separates, he sanctifies. This is a word we don't hear a lot about in our, in our faith but I want to preach about sanctification a little bit today, being set apart. Paul says something very interesting in verse 18. I'm going to repeat it. He says the word of the cross, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. Everybody say it's the power of God. That's where it comes from. He doesn't say to those of us who are saved, but he says to those of us who, who have, and he didn't say to those who have, who have been saved, but he said to those who are being saved. Now, why did Paul say that? Will understand that the Bible speaks of salvation in three tenses. Many of you folks need to hear this. A Christian can say, I have been saved. Some can say, I am being saved. And some can say, I will be saved. And they all work. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. How many of y'all have been saved from the penalty of sin? Come on, come on, come on, raise your hand, raise your hand. Come on, let me preach to you. One day I will be saved from the presence of sin. I'm going to a place where sin is no more. Come on, raise your hand. Raise your hand. But right now I'm being saved from the power of sin. I've been saved from the penalty. I'm going to be saved one day from the presence. But right now I'm being saved from the power. Can I tell you, greater is he that's in you. Oh my God. Can I tell you that? Greater, greater is he. Oh, I wish somebody would help me preach. I can preach right now. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. Everybody say that's justification. Just as if I have never sinned. I will be saved from the presence of sin. That's glorification. That's one day when I sit with him on the other side. But in this life, I'm being saved from the power of sin. That's sanctification. God can separate me. You don't have to live in sin in this life. There is a greater power. There's a greater force. There's a greater army. There's a greater power than the power of sin. It's the power of the cross. Someone said salvation is a crisis followed by a process. It's a decision followed by a dynamic. Yes, it is. Our problem is that we tend to leave the cross in the past when we really and truly the cross should be a part of our everyday life if we're a child of God. I don't know about you, but three things still bother me even though I've been saved now from the penalty of sin for almost 56 years. Sin still bothers me. Can I be honest with you? Satan still bothers me. Can I be honest with you? And myself still bothers me. This flesh still bothers me. I'm preaching to somebody and I'm being honest with somebody, but I'm preaching to you also. Every day I need to be saved and I'm being saved from the power of sin and the power of Satan and the power of self. What does that mean? It means I come to the cross for pardon, but I'm gotta, I've gotta get on the cross for power. Hallelujah. Now, I know it's difficult to understand, but let me explain it. There are two principles in your life, Christ and self. Are you with me? If Christ is on the cross, then self is on the throne. But if self is on the cross, Christ is on the throne. I'm I'm a little bit disappointed because Pentecostals and Spirit-filled people don't want to hear the power of the cross. They want to leave it in our rear view mirror. You can't leave the cross in your rear view mirror. There is no redemption without the shedding of blood. Oh, somebody say, let's embrace the cross of Jesus today. Let's go back and put ourselves on the cross and let Christ be on his throne today. I'm not diminishing the power of healing, the power of Pentecost. No, I'm just telling you, You'll never have a Pentecost without a Calvary. You'll never have a day of Pentecost without a day of Passover in your life. The cross is the strength of the church. It's the power of the church. It's the power of God unto salvation. I've heard people say, you know, Pastor, I want to be a Christian, but it's too difficult to live the Christian life. Well, I've got some news for you. It's not difficult to live the Christian life. It's impossible. And the only way you can live the Christian life is to let the power of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus Christ live in you and through you. That's what I'm talking about today. Am I helping anybody? You do that by being crucified daily on the cross. That's what Paul did. Now, you know, we don't understand Paul doing this, but here's what he said. He said, I've been crucified, Galatians 2, with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul was saying Jesus died for me and I died with him and when I died to me, he lives in me and when he lives in me, I can live for him. That's why Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily. You get it? A man full of the Holy Spirit, a man baptized in the wonderful precious name of the Lord, he said I die daily. Because that's the power of the cross, not only to save you, not only to separate you, but to sanctify you and make you all that God wants you to be. Somebody said, Pastor, you're going to ever preach about Pentecost? Yeah, you wait till Pentecost Sunday. I'm going to wear you out. Because I'm a Pentecostal. In high school, I'm closing, we were assigned the task of reading John Bunyan's classic allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress. And those who have read it remember the scene of the hero whose name was Christian. His shoulders were hunched. He's plodding through life, straining with every step. And throughout most of the book, he's carrying this great burden on his back. It's with him night and day. Never does he know relief from the weight of this burden. It's one of the most moving scenes of the book. Christian finds a path to salvation. Up the hill, he staggers until he reaches the peak. And there he sees a wooden cross and just below it an empty grave. And as he nears the cross, a miracle happens. The straps, binding that massive weight on his shoulders, loosens. And his load tumbles away into the grave's waiting mouth, never to be seen again. An unbelievable feeling of light floods his body. Joyous tears of relief streams down his face and three shining people approach him. The first announces, Thy sins be forgiven thee. The second strips away his rags and dresses him in splendid clothes and the third hands him a sealed scroll which he says is his path to the celestial city called heaven. In that brief but beautiful scene, John Bunyan eloquently and dramatically Dramatize the message that we're all pilgrims. We're making our way through life, born with a crushing load of sin on our back. But when we finally make our way to the cross, God takes that sin off our back, forgives us, buries our sin forever in the grave in which Jesus was buried, never to be remembered against us anymore. Dresses us up in a robe of righteousness and gives us the ticket of eternal life which will surely grant us entrance into heaven. I don't want to tell this, but I need to, I must. 34 years ago today, today, I went to a church, broken, busted, not knowing which way to go. We had some old mourners benches And I went and wrapped my arm around one of the legs of those benches that morning. And I clung to it like I would cling to a cross. I was full of the Holy Spirit. I had repented, been water baptized, but I needed more that day because my ship had run aground. I was in turbulent waters the only thing I knew to do was wrap my arms around a thing that symbolized the cross and catch my way back to the love of Jesus Christ at a place called Calvary I think sometimes it's very important that we renew ourselves in God not just to pardon me for saying it, but to speak in a heavenly language. No, no, no. No, not just to be in a brouhaha of a worship service, no. But to somehow get our arms wrapped around that place where it all started. A place called Calvary. And wrap our arms around it. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? Oh, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. When I wrapped my arms around that old mourner's bench that day, God gave me a peace. And 34 years later on this Sunday, I'm still preaching the gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ. Isaiah said, look to me. The Lord says, look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just a moment? And that concludes today's podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.